Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Ken Baer, pastor at Faith Dialogue, and we are in a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's based on the New Testament uh, book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, as we journey through, uh, with the, through primarily with the Apostle Paul, um, through the pages of the book of Acts, and we see how the church was truly uh, unstoppable. Today we're beginning in the 16th chapter of Acts, and this is during what we refer to as Paul's secondary missionary, second missionary journey. Uh, in the beginning of this chapter, we saw Paul and Silas traveling to Lystra and to Derby, and they were introduced to a young disciple named Timothy. Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. Timothy was brought up in the, in the Jewish faith uh, by his mother and his grandmother and had followed, um, uh, followed them in becoming a, a Christian. Uh, but he had not yet been uh, circumcised. He was highly regarded and Paul decided to take him and then on this, on his first, on this missionary journey and have him circumcised. We talked about why Paul had Timothy circ circumcised, especially since Paul and Barnabas had just secured a letter from the apostles in Jerusalem that circumcision was not required in order to become a Christian. In fact, the apostles responded and said, we never told you that. We never sent such a decree. Uh, it, it's not required. Um, however, um, in this case, Paul is having Timothy uh, circumcised um, because of the what we call the law of love. It's not the the law of Moses, but it was in order to make sure that there was no, no friction, no contention between the Jews and the Gentiles, and also uh, considering that Paul and Timothy would be preaching to both the Jews and Gentiles. Today we pick up where we left off. Our sermon title today is uh, Paul and Silas in Jail, and it's going to be Acts 16, beginning in verse 16. Let's begin reading. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now notice that, that Paul and, and, uh, and his companions are evidently traveling to a specific place to pray. Likely this is the same place by the river that was said to be a gathering place for some of the Jewish women, including Lydia. Uh, as, the group, um, as the group was traveling together, there could have easily been uh, 10 or more. We know that there's at least four, but there could easily have been six, seven, eight, maybe 10 people traveling. So it's likely when there's that many people that they would go find a place that's away from the hustle and bustle and from where they're staying in order to get alone with God 
and, and to pray. Um, this city, by the way, is, is Philippi, and it was named for Philip II of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. Uh, this is, was a very important city during the Christian era. This is Paul's first visit, likely somewhere around 50 AD. However, he would visit a few more times and actually write a letter to the church in Philippi. Um, and he wrote that uh, as part of what was called the prison epistles, probably about 15 years after this, uh, when Paul was a prisoner in Rome. Now, uh, what's interesting is in the scripture it says um, that they caught the attention of a certain slave girl. And the scriptures say that she was possessed with a spirit uh, of divination. Now, there are two things that we can learn from this, this very beginning of this passage. This statement that she was possessed by a spirit of divination. The first is that the original Greek says that she had the spirit of Pythona. Uh, Pythona sounds like the state Python, and that's exactly what it refers to. The Python was associated with the Greek god Apollo. And near Philippi, uh, there's the ruins of an ancient temple. And um, on the marker for the temple, it says Pythana Apollo. It was a, it was a temple erected to the spirit of, of the Python. Secondly, notice it says that the girl was possessed by the spirit. Uh, you know, there are, mo very, there are modern day teachers that kind of explain away this whole idea of uh, demon possession. They say that actually these are people that were just mentally ill, or in this case the girl was possibly using ventriloquism or sleight of hand. Uh, she was just very, very clever. You know, however, the, <laughs> I don't know why we just don't read the scriptures for what the scriptures say. The scripture says that she brought her masters much profit because of fortune telling, uh, and likely also because of the powers. And notice that Paul commands the spirit to come out. Paul talks directly to this spirit, this demon spirit inside of her. We have, you know, so many recorded instances of demon possessions in the Bible. Uh, so we need to understand that this is possible, what, how this is possible, and it's likely possible today as well. Now, a believer, people ask me that all the time, can believers be uh, possessed? And, and the Bible doesn't have any instances where believers in Jesus Christ are actually possessed. They can be tormented, uh, but not possessed. The believer is actually indwelt by the, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells of a man that at the end of the times called the beast or the antichrist that will be possessed by, by Satan himself, totally controlled uh, by, the, by the prince of darkness. Now he's ultimately destroyed at the second coming of the Lord. So let's continue. Um, it says that Paul was annoyed, greatly annoyed. I love that. It says, and she did this for many days, but Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to, to come out of her. You know, demon spirits, I'm sure, can be, be annoying. Uh, Paul was greatly annoyed, and obviously he, was, he didn't appreciate the, the free advertising that this, this, this servant girl that was possessed uh, was giving them. Uh, he didn't need the free advertising, nor did he want to give any credibility to, to the girl as well. Paul then says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now Jesus cast out demons under his own authority. Paul is using the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that we would use his name. Uh, he said that in John 23, John 16, 23, Jesus says, I assuredly, most assuredly I say to you, 
whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. However, ask and you will receive that your joy will be filled, will be full. You know, I, I've heard that statement before, and I, and I kind of understood what it meant to be able to ask in the name of someone else. However, it was my son, uh, my son Adam, that actually taught me how you could use the name of, of someone else. This goes back a little over 20 years ago. I was, I was serving down in, uh, down in Mexico, and Ford Motor Company had put me in charge of the financial subsidiaries in the country of Mexico, including uh, was a small subsidiary called Jaguar Credit. And the, the purpose of this small little finance company was to service the half a dozen or so uh, Jaguar dealers uh, that we had in, in Mexico. Now, my, my son was just a high school senior, and I got a call one day from one of my dealers in Mexico City, and he said, um, he said your son is test driving one of our Jaguar sports cars. And I said, how does my son have one of your Jaguar sports cars? And he says, well, he's driving the car and he's been gone for a long time with one of his friends and, and I'm getting starting to get worried. And I said, well, why did you give my son one of your Jaguar uh, sports cars? And he said, well, he came in and I didn't know who he was. I just knew that he was young. But then he gave me your business card and he asked for the Jaguar and I gave it to him. So a great lesson uh, from the hands of my, my son who was able to use my name in order to accomplish something that he couldn't accomplish himself. So let's, let's go on. Um, let's continue. Paul casts the demon out. He uses the name of Jesus Christ and he casts the demon out. The servant girl is no longer any use to the, to the master. And the scripture says, but when the master saw, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now how horrible, when you think about it, that this slave girl is now considered to be of no use to her masters. You know, she was treated just like a, like a piece of property. They had no care, no concern for her. It was just that she was unfortunately possessed by a demon spirit, uh, that she was able to do some fortune telling, uh, some, um, some amazement, almost like a magic act. And people were amused and they were able to profit from her. But they didn't care anything for this girl. And this is, this is so unfortunate. Let's, uh, let's read the next section. Acts 16, beginning in verse 19. Or verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into prison. Now we know that the mission team included at least four, along with Paul and Silas, and included Timothy and Dr. Luke. Now Luke was a Gentile, and Timothy was only half Jewish. Apparently Paul and Silas were the ones that looked Jewish enough for them to be able to, to grab them and decide to, to persecute them. Now they were 
they were uh, said to have been uh, causing a, an uproar um, when they actually weren't. All they had done was cast out a demon and, and left some of the merchants without this opportunity for profit. Um, they were primarily thrown into prison, not only for that, but also for the fact that they were, were Jewish. You know, Philippi was not, didn't have a large enough Jewish um, uh, uh, representation uh, to have a synagogue. That's why Paul and his team were praying by the river. Uh, but obviously there was a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment in the city. The scriptures say the charges were pretty vague. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. You know, no further definition of the charges are given, but let's pause for a moment and talk about Roman law as it will become a factor as we continue through this, this book of Acts. In the Roman Empire, there were two very different laws, one for citizens of the Roman Empire and the other for strangers or non-citizens. Non-citizens would complain about the Romans and the Roman laws. However, when it was their advantage, they would appeal to these, these same Romans, the Roman legates, the governors, the prefects, and the procreators, now, when it was convenient for them. Uh, this is what we saw the religious leaders do uh, when they wanted to crucify Jesus. They went to Pilate, they went to the Roman law, and they basically told Pilate what they needed. The religious leaders um, said to Pilate, or actually Pilate said to them, he says, what accusation do you bring against this man? That was Jesus. Pilate couldn't find a reason to have Jesus crucified, but the Jews said, if you let this man go, you're not, a, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. You know, how convenient for the Jews, Jews in Jerusalem. Um, and now we see the same thing with these Gentiles in Philippi. So the local magistrates, most likely appointed by, by uh, Rome in Philippi, listened to the crowd. And the scripture says, and they commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. They told the, the uh, jailer to put them securely, so he put them in the farthest reaches, the, the, um, the most secure area of the prison, and he fastened their feet in stocks. Now, under Jewish law, uh, the maximum number of stripes a person could receive was 40. So typically, you'll see the penalty is 30 plus 9, or 39. However, the Romans had no limit. Paul would later write in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, in labors more abundant, in stripes without measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Paul is speaking of the persecution that he was suffering uh, during his missionary journeys. So let's continue. We'll see Paul and Silas in prison, and the jailer is going to get saved. Verse 25, it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, and seeing the prison doors all open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. 
and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. For then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So we see Paul and Silas here in prison. Their feet are in stocks, meaning that they're fastened basically to the floor. And what are they doing? They're singing all eight verses of the old rugged cross. Well, that song probably wasn't around at the time, but they're, they're singing and they're praising God. And it says the rest of the prisoners are listening to them. Now, this, of course, is odd. Uh, it's not only odd, it's strikingly odd. Uh, they'd been thrown in jail primarily because they were Jewish. They, they were unfairly accused. They were beaten with rods without measure. They are bloody and bruised. They're thrown into prison. They're fastened with, with uh, stocks. And their response was to sing and sing praises to God. Suddenly, it says there was an earthquake and the doors all opened and all of the locks fell off. The leggings, the chains, uh, they're all of no use anymore. Not just Paul and Silas, it says, but everybody's, everybody in the prison. Earthquakes are mentioned often in the Bible. They are often a sign of God's sovereign will. It's God talking uh, to his, his creation. The gospel records that there was an earthquake when, when Jesus was crucified and was dying on the cross. The centurion on duty saw all that was happening and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, if you remember the movie that was Ernest Borgnine that was playing the, the centurion, I remember that, that scene so, so vividly. The book of Revelation speaks of earthquakes as well. In fact, uh, four times in Revelation chapter 6, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse, chapter 11, and chapter 16, there are earthquakes. God uses earthquakes often and will use earthquakes to get our attention. And God definitely got the attention of the jailer. It says the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, this is, you know, this is great drama and a great story. An amazing rescue by God via the earthquake. Peter and John, if you remember, a few chapters back were rescued in Jerusalem um, from a jail. It was by an angel. This time, Peter and Silas are in jail and it's an earthquake. And here's what I think is the key to understanding this encounter that Paul and Silas had in Philippi. It's not about the Roman government. It's not about the beatings. It's not about the, the, the slave girl that had, was demon-possessed. It's not about the prison. It's really about this jailer. And in essence, it's about us because it's about eternity. Paul and Silas yell out, don't kill yourself. We're still here. The jailer falls down on his knees before Paul and Silas and he says, what must I do to be saved? That's the key question. That's the question right there. That's the most important question anyone could ever ask. It's a question that we all need to ask. 
we need to understand. You know, it's one thing to, to read the scriptures. It's one thing to hear these stories, to, to understand the stories in, in, the, in the Bible. It's, it's one thing to go to church. You can go to church. You can, you can sign your name on the rolls. You can, you can join, become a member of a church. But you need to ask the question, ultimately, what must I do to be saved? Now, the word saved in the Greek is the word, the Greek word sozo. I love the word. It basically means to, to rescue from great peril. It includes the idea of being protected, of being kept alive, being preserved, uh, made whole or healed. Um, this is what God brings to the table in salvation. You bring your life, you bring all your baggage, your sinfulness, your selfishness, your arrogance, and even your stubbornness. And you bring it on the table and God offers you salvation. Now Paul and Silas are going to tell us exactly what you need to do in order to be saved, to be rescued, preserved, delivered, made whole. They say, believe Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe? Just believe? Believe in who? They say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's it? Isn't there anything else we need to do? Well, the scriptures tell us that Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and all were in his house. In essence, what they were doing is they were telling the story of Jesus. They were telling of Jesus' birth. They were telling of Jesus' ministry, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross. He was crucified. He was crucified for our sins. He rose after three days, and then he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. They explained the gospel to the jailer and to his household. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul gives us some particulars on what this is about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Paul says, um, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. As I said, it's actually the most important question we can ever ask and it's the question we all need to ask. Notice that when the jailer's family understood the gospel, they didn't hesitate. They believed, and the scripture says this, they says they immediately, he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, he, and they, he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So note that the jailer, along with his entire family, believed, and then what did they do? They were immediately baptized. Paul and Silas didn't hesitate to baptize them, and the jailer and his family didn't hesitate to be baptized. You know, so often uh, we can come to the Lord and we can make a decision for the Lord, uh, but the Bible says that the first step of obedience is to be water baptized. If you haven't been water baptized, you really need to consider being water baptized. We'd love to be able to, to help you with that, to get you through that. I'd love to baptize you. That would, be, that would be an honor for not only me, but any of the pastors. We'd love to be able to do that. So I can hear it right now. Some of you are saying this. Pastor Ken, are you telling me that the main story of the message today, everything that we heard, wasn't about the demon-possessed woman or the beatings or the jail, but it was all about being saved. Yep, 
That was the purpose of the earthquake. That was the purpose of the entire activity. It was to be able to get us to the point of understanding what it means to be saved. You see, this is the purpose of the gospel. Jesus came that he would be able to um, save his creation. Uh, we had stumbled, we had fallen, man was sinful, and there was no way, no way in our own conveyance to be able to be reconciled to God. So God took the step in sending his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died for our sin, the sin of the entire world, and rose from the dead, showing that we also have resurrection, we have eternal life. That's the point of the gospel. See, the gospel reveals Christ and the plan of God, and the entire plan of God is to reconcile his creation back to himself. Who's his creation? That's you. That's me. And then the idea is to reconcile us back to God. And the only way that it's possible is through understanding who Jesus is and believing on the name of Jesus and accepting that. Believing on his death and his resurrection so that we can be saved. Who's that? You and me. Aren't you glad? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this lesson today. We thank you that... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www faithdialogue.org.